box to box stoppage time. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Hello and welcome to Box to Box Stoppage Time. Willem van Denderen is my name. I'm joined by Derek Dyson in Healesville, Victoria, and Michael Edgley in Bangkok, Thailand. We're loaded and ready with our games, teams, and hot topics from another week of football from right across the globe. So we'll come to you first, Derek. The FA Cup throws up some uh, some upsets from time to time, but this one is being lauded as one of the greatest in its long and storied history. That's right, Willem. It was only really one option for me for game of the week and that was the game that took place between uh, Ipswich and Maidstone so Maidstone are in National uh, League South which I think put them about 98 places below Ipswich in the in the pyramid uh, Ipswich are flying of course uh, in the championship they did not play their um, their full strength team far far from it but they still would have expected to uh, win a game against a part-time side in Mason United and you know what uh it it was uh they deserved Mason were in the game they scored two brilliant goals through Lamar Reynolds and Sam Corn it was their only attempts on target um and you know and it ended 2-1 um yeah it was, which got one back to kind of make it interesting but Mason put themselves uh in charge again and it was amazing for George Elakobi and the four and a, four and a half thousand travelling fans, uh, they will be the uh, uh, were the lowest ranked team left in this FA Cup, um, and they're in, now in the last sixteen. So obviously there are plenty of teams such as Arsenal, for example, who are not in the last sixteen of the FA Cup. But Maidstone United uh, from Kent uh, are uh, probably worth mentioning a couple of things. First of all, this was away, so it was at Ipswich's ground. There was no bobbly pitch. The, wet, the weather looked pretty good. Um, they were just simply, um, simply outplayed, um, and uh, yeah, the, the Stones, as they're called, won't have a chance to host anyone in the Gallagher Stadium, their 700-seater stadium. It looks like they're going away to uh, Coventry or Sheffield Wednesday, so they didn't get the big, the big Premier League tie. But this is still another Championship team, uh, and hey, George Elakobi, who had a great career himself, Cameroonian. High point was likely at uh, Wolves, if you look at it. Um, and yeah, look, Maidstone produced a few good players over the years. Probably the most most famous is Chris Smalling, of course, applying his trade for uh, Roma and England at the moment. So proper FA Cup tie, proper ups, upset, and they deserved it, Willem. It was uh, sensational stuff. And they'll go back and start preparing for a Kent Senior Cup quarterfinal against Punjab United, Derek. They've also got <laughs> Yeovil Town, Braintree Town, Slough Town and Havant and Waterloo on the upcoming fixture list. So, yeah, right down in the uh, in the depths of the Pyramid. Edge, we'll come to you. We're going to have quite a bit of Asian Cup laced throughout this stoppage time. And the Malaysia-Korea Republic game was an absolute cracker. It was, and I was uh, before I returned to Bangkok from Doha, I went to see this game because I was very interested in seeing Malaysia. I consider Malaysia a football country. Their, their professional league is well run, great attendances. Um, quite a few Australians have played in Malaysia, uh, and I was really interested to see them because I thought their first two games they were very, very poor. Uh, and Malaysia is a team that always does well in the uh, the Tiger Cup, uh, the Southeast Asian tournament that's played regularly, and their very big games against Vietnam and Thailand. I was curious to see how they would go against the Korea Republic. I did. I went to the game with little expectations. There was a lot of Malaysians in the crowd uh, and Haramu Malaya, they actually turned it on and proved to me that 
if you're a Malaysian football fan, that you've got something to look forward to. It was a 3-3 draw. Korea had a lot on the line. They needed to win to ensure that they would go through. And uh, they got away to a... Uh, they really outplayed Malaysia in the first half. They got away. It was half 1-0 at half time. Jong Wee... John Woo, uh, Jong Woo Jung headed in a home corner to give them the lead at the 21st minute. But Malaysia turned it on in a period of 10 minutes uh, in, early in the second half to score two goals. Faisal Heyman also scored uh, a goal uh, from a tight angle, uh, which was a beautiful goal, and they were 2-1 up. Uh, Lee Kang restored parity in the 83rd minute, and we thought South Korea were going to go on and uh, get the job done and they took the lead uh, with uh, a 3-2 from the penalty spot, Song Hun Ming fighting in the bottom corner. But before um, the last minute of uh, extra time, uh, there was an equaliser from Malaysia that sent the crown, the Malaysian fans absolutely ape droppings, and it was just a fantastic way for Malaysia to exit the tournament. And if I was a Malaysian fan, I'd have some expectations about rallying through the World Cup qualification, and just who knows? Uh, they might um, sneak their way through. So for me, that was just a uh, one of those games that was totally unexpected, Willem, that tournaments like the Asian Cup throw up. And what you wouldn't have seen from the stand's edge was the soap opera that uh, that is and has been Jurgen Klinsmann's leadership of South Korea, the constant cutaways to his sort of to, to his face as the, uh, the Malaysian girls continued to roll in. And yeah, the third goal, the, the final equaliser, was an absolute cracker. Just took it really quickly, really, really nice on the edge of the area and slotted it into the, uh, the corner with plenty of legs and, um, and posts and goalkeepers in the mix. Uh, took it very calmly. My game also comes from the Asian Cup. It was a round of 16 clash between Tajikistan and the UAE. Uh, should be remembered, Tajikistan are on debut here. A uh, bit of drama pre-game with Paolo Bento, the uh, the manager of the UAE, leaving out Ali Makut, who is their goal-scoring hero. Firstly, out of the uh, the match day squad, and then out of the uh, well, out of the eleven, and then out of the match day squad altogether. Tajikistan went ahead through Vadat Hanunov, a centre back who looks a bit like Mark Natter uh, of the Newcastle Jets. They were pretty untroubled for a good while after that, and then they had a spell. Uh, from 70 minutes onwards edge, where Alicia Zalilov, their, their striker, he uh, he turned around, he sprayed his teammates, and then he was gifted four guilt-edged opportunities over the next 10 minutes and spurned them all. Uh, so they really should have had this all wrapped up. But they did defend pretty well. The goalkeeper, uh, Yatimov, uh, and their other central defender who plays in alongside, uh, Hananov there, the three of them were, were absolutely brilliant. It was only once they got to 90 minutes that U the UAE actually stepped it up uh, and levelled it through a, a free kick that came from a, uh, yeah, a foul that probably wasn't really necessary, and they did level it through Khalifa al-Hamadi. So to extra time we went, uh, and yeah, it was Tajikistan who sort of uh, managed to, to get themselves together better, uh, and yeah, were, were faultless through the penalty shootout. Yatimov made the save. Uh, and yeah, to, to close edge, probably a tale of the two managers here. You've got the wild, sort of passionate Peter Segert, who's been one of the great characters of the uh, the tournament. Shouts his, you know, shouts at the refs, beats his chest, sort of kicks and screams. And then the the stern and sort of concerned Paolo Bento, who looks like he just needs a hug after maybe a little bit too long in a, in a high stress caper. Uh, so good luck to the uh, the Tajiks in their quarterfinal. Oh, the UAE coaches are under enormous pressure because there's such high expectations from the royal family there being a, a football family in the Emirates. But Peter Seggett, um, he is, I'm just so thrilled he's continuing on in the tournament because he is the most colourful, engaging and fun manager 
at is this the complete opposite to Graham Arnold. He goes to press conferences, he shakes the hand of every journalist, he, he's positive, he's upbeat, he understands where his team's at, and uh, he's, he's just loving every single moment of it. So uh, Tajikistan, who have under a fair bit of criticism for not directly qualifying, um, you know, they've now got themselves into the quarterfinals. Incredible stuff. Edge, while we're here, we might skip, uh, we won't skip, but we'll postpone Derek's uh, team of the tournament because your team is not a team, but it is AFC Asian Cup fans. Yeah, I love this. Uh, I just got a couple of things that I wanted to raise. The first one was a, a Malaysian fan, Derek Gam. Um, I needed to uh, just tell his story because um, he, he's a diehard in Malaysia. They call it Haramu Malaya. Uh, he went to great lengths to get behind the team at the Asian Cup. Uh, he saw he saved up fifteen hundred Malaysian ringgit, which wasn't enough. Uh, he didn't want to sell his car because his wife uses that to uh, go shopping uh, and drive the kids around. But he he did sell his motorbike for four thousand five hundred Malaysian ringgit, and he was able to get across to Qatar and see his uh, beloved Malaysia team play. Um, he's not sure. He uses his motorcycle to get to work, so he's not sure what he's going to do when he gets home. And he said. Works too far to ride a bicycle, so he's got to sort that out when he gets home. But um, it's amazing what uh, fans will do. Malaysia, uh, they haven't qualified for the Asian Cup since 2007, so you can understand how important it would have been to Malaysian football fans that they were there. And obviously, he said, um, selling his motorbike, it was all worth it to see uh, Malaysia steal a draw with the Korea Republic. Uh, That's the highlight of his uh, life following Malaysia international football. So that was one story from the fans. But but I just want to play something, uh, something that I think is really significant was the Iraqi fans celebrating their incredible victory over Japan. Just having a listen to this, to the Iraqi fans at Sukwa Kif in Doha. Absolutely great sounds. The Iraqi fans come from all over the world to see their team. Obviously, Iraq, um, as one of their leading journalists uh, said, Iraq's uh, known for Saddam Hussein and, and wars. Uh, so he said, we're much more than that as a nation. Iraq, The Iraqi diaspora uh, has descended on, um, on Doha and they're having the time of their lives. They actually could play the Australians in the semifinals if we get that far. Um, but it was just so fantastic to see the Iraqi fans celebrate in traditional Middle Eastern style. And uh, back in Baghdad, um, they went into the streets like they won the World Cup. Gridlock, uh, fireworks, um, tooting horns, jumping on cars, and the odd machine gun going off with them. Yeah, uh, pretty standard fare for the uh, the Sugwakif, uh these days. Edge sounds and uh, and sights like that. Derek, sorry to keep you on hold there, brother. Your team of the week uh, are the Cherries. Yeah, mine's a bit boring after that, I must admit. I wonder what those... Fans were saying that it sounded awesome. Uh, other fans that are having the right to cheer about their team at the moment are AFC Bournemouth fans. They've they've really flown under the radar in the last few weeks. They um, beat Swansea five nil in the uh, FA Cup over the weekend, and they were all over Swansea. It was actually five nil at half time, and some goals from 
Alex Scott, and you remember me talking about him, the Guernsey man, a few weeks yep. ago. He got on the score sheet, set up another one. And David Brooks, who's returning from a form of cancer, I think, uh, scored uh, a great goal and assisted another two. So uh, they just looked class. Um, in the Premier League recently, they've beaten Forest Palace, Fulham, and away at Manchester United, and, and they're currently 12th. Uh, nine points above the uh, the drop zone, but I think very much uh, going on a, in an upward trajectory. And look, there was some early consternation at Gary O'Neill being let go and being replaced by Iriola. No one had really heard of him. He was Mikel Arteta's mate uh, to most people. Uh, but it's taken a little while, but his tactics and coaching seem to have come good now. The team looks stronger, fitter. A lot more dynamic uh, than they were last season. Very atta- fluid attacking patterns. It, it helps when Dominic Solanke sort of finally uh, showcasing why the likes of Liverpool and Chelsea were were, were uh, using his services. Uh, he scored again in the win over Swansea too, and uh, they will uh, head into the fifth round of the cup, uh, uh, and uh, they're away at West Ham in the league. So. Bournemouth, not a team that we talk about an awful lot, but I, I suggest to our listeners to keep an eye on them because I think I think there's good things happening there on limited resources. My team of the week is from Australia. It is Perth Glory. Here's a little grab of their manager, Alan Stachich, post their two-all draw with MacArthur. No, I thought we were the better team. We deserved yeah. to win. Even in the first half, we were a little bit passive, but the possession was good. Penetration was pretty poor. Second half, there was a lot better tempo and... Created numerous chances. I thought we were the better team throughout the whole second half. They had, what, two counter-attacks that, you know, they were dangerous off. And especially when you've got De Villa, that's, that's always tricky. But, um, yeah, I just, I, I was really proud of the second half. I thought we played really well. I thought it was a pretty soft pen they got. You know, I don't think that was a pen at all, in my view. Um, it's probably the softest pen in the A-League this year. So, but anyway, that's what you get. Lucky the boys had a bit of courage and spirit to come back again. And I think that's what we showed over the last month. Is that hard as a coach? Obviously, dealing with decisions like those and, and trying to work out how the players are going to get their heads back in the game? Oh, look, it's up to them, isn't it? They're the leaders on the field and they showed that again. They showed the courage and, again, in adversity, uh, the players have stood up and, and, you know, I don't think anyone could be uh, anyone back home in Perth could be any prouder of what they're putting out over the last few weeks. They're absolutely copping it off the field. Edge, no owner. They can't sign players. Reportedly being instructed to offload players. But he's got the siege mentality working beautifully there. Uh, stage itch. We were the better team. Softest pen of the league. Everyone back home would be... Uh, or softest pen of the year. Everyone back home would be really proud. Uh, 2-1 win over the Wanderers a fortnight ago was their first away win since November 2022, which I actually hadn't realised uh, or didn't realise had dragged on that long. And then this week, they shipped a penalty to MacArthur with 10 minutes to play, but found a winner... Uh, through David Williams. And I want to talk about David Williams. How can you not love this bloke? He played for two defunct sides in the North Queensland Fury and Melbourne Heart. He made his Socceroos debut under the late Pim Verbeek in June 2008. He's traversed the uh, the points of the league. He's been in Wellington, Perth, the Queensland, uh, North Queensland Fury, as I mentioned. He nicked off to India. He won the league with uh, with Moen Bagan. So still doing the business age 35. He'll score his, uh, if he's to score two more goals, that'll be 50 A-League goals from 204 games. So David Williams leading an inspired uh, Perth glory, even if they do still sit uh, second bottom. But yeah, all sorts of issues going on with the glory. But yeah, Stadge in the hot seat at the man uh, at the minute the man in the hot seat at the minute, if I can get the words out, uh, getting a tune out of them despite all odds. We've got a final A-League topic to get to, and that comes off the back of last week's uh, chat 
around the uh, the job cuts at the APL. But before we get there, Derek, your hot topic, I've been given very little information, just Opta Power Rankings. What have you got for us? I came across this by random last week, and I found this just very interesting. So Opta are the organization that have developed over the last, I would say, 20 to 30 years as the global leader in statistics uh, around football players, teams, etc. And I came across the power rankings. And, I, and uh, what they have is they've ranked uh, every sort of professional club uh, in the world, uh, and they've and they've ranked the leagues as well. And, and I just thought this was really interesting. They they first of all rank all the clubs, so on a variety of uh, factors and statistics. So in this scale, zero getting a zero out of a hundred is the worst team in the world, and a hundred out of zero is the best team in the world. And everyone falls on that on that scale. And the, currently, the top ranked club is Manchester City uh, with a hundred. Um, just for Rob's sake, Liverpool are fourth, and, and Arsenal um, are seventh. Uh, but it goes, it goes all, it goes all the way down, and then they use those stats to work out who is the strongest league and what are the strongest leagues. So um, the Premier League, as you would expect, uh, is the top one, and in fact, the top five uh, uh, spots are your are European leagues. Uh, Germany uh, is sitting in set, second. Um, Spain third, Italy uh, fourth, and, and France fifth. What I think is really interesting is the championship. The English championship is the sixth best league in the world, according to Optostat. So it's above all of the other leagues, apart you know every league in the world, apart from those top uh, European clubs, obviously making the most of all that money that comes down from the Premier League. Um, anyone want to guess what the first non-European league is on this on this list? The J League. J League is in the top thirty, which is what they give you, but it's not. It's not that one. It's actually Brazil in tenth. Turkey uh, are in twelfth. Interestingly, the MLS uh, has moved up to fifteenth in the past year, and the proud the Saudi Pro League is twenty seventh, and they're just behind the J League and the K League, which are twenty uh, fifth and twenty sixth. And in this top 30, there's no sign of Scotland and there is no sign uh, of the A-League. Anyone want to have a guess at who the highest ranked A-League team are at the moment in the Optostats? Uh, Melbourne City. Melbourne City is second. They're 641st in the world. Uh, but ahead of them are Central Coast Mariners on 600. And, uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm amazing. A Melbourne victory, 721. My lowly Western United, 1,633. And I pulled this one out for your edge uh, with a with a score of 50.1. So they are right in the middle of the 13,000 teams. Heidelberg, uh, 6,290. So you can go all the way down to that. The average across the A-League is 68 out of 100. And if you go on the top 13, the Norwegian League, is at 71.33. So the A-League is sitting about three points out of their 100 uh, underneath uh, the Norwegian League. Just so you know, uh, Warrior in the uh, Estonian League are placed last, uh, uh, 13,449, and they have a ranking of zero. So uh, you go from Warrior on zero all the way to Manchester City on 100. It's probably the most pointless thing that I've ever spoken about. But I also found it really, really interesting, guys. 
Yeah, Do you have a ranking for us for Maidstone Town or Brain or Maidstone United or Braintree Town? Oh, I'll look it up. Maybe because they're not professional, they might they might oh. not be in it. But um, yeah, Edge, pointless, but also quite interesting. No, that was a bit of fun. Absolutely, the burgers are in the top six and a half thousand clubs in the world. <laughs> <laughs> you can keep dreaming, Edge. Uh, Edge, hot topic: uh, Danny Townsend and the APL's governance. We've got a, a grab for this one as well, I believe. Yeah, we do. Look, I just thought uh, I'd been away for a couple of weeks, obviously, uh, with the Asian Cup, and um, I didn't get the chance to contribute my thoughts to what's a really um, shocking announcement around the, the keep-up and uh, just the news of how messy it seems to have been at the APL. So uh, one thing that I'm continually surprised about is just the public relations disaster that this appears to be. The Obviously, the strategic decision for the APL to remain completely silent uh, and not offer up uh, Chairman Stephen Conroy or um, the, the, the acting CEO Garcia or even power broker Simon Pearce to give some sort of explanation to the football public about what's going on has just meant that this story continues to grow legs. And even people like me are just looking for anything to hang their hat on. I did see that Richard Peel, the owner of the Central Coast Mariners, said that he wasted some serious money in areas I wouldn't do again as a result of obviously money that he had to contribute to APL strategies. Um, but what was really interesting was that the former CEO and really the talking head for the APL for the past three years, Danny Townsend, appeared on a um, a bit of a ob obscure podcast over the weekend where he was talking about his um, new job with um, Saudi Arabia. Um, and he got a bit of a surprise question about what were his thoughts on what was happening in the A-League. And here's what he had to say. It's a challenging environment, um, you know, very complex stakeholder environment as well. And and I think, you know, we have so many foundational strengths as a sport and in that country, the participation base of football is, is you know, is the sum of all the parts of the, the competing sports. Um, so, so for that reason, there is, I, I think there's an, an, a sense of inevitability about where football end up in, in Australia. I think our our job and what we were thinking was was to accelerate that timeline, uh, essentially by the privatisation of the league. I think, you know, the current board have, have obviously gone and made some decisions in the last couple of weeks that I'm not across, but um, it would appear that they're they're winding back some of the investment that was made in in, in content, particularly from what I can tell. Um, which, yeah, you know, is obviously their call. But I think fundamentally, whenever you've got and you know this, Roger, <laughs> when you've got twelve different owners of clubs who own the league with 12 differing opinions and philosophies. It's a challenging stakeholder environment, as I said, and I think that's that's part of the challenge. Well, blow me down with a feather. I can yep. unbelievable that he would use as an excuse 12 different opinions from 12 different owners as to, you know, the disaster that's uh, unfolding at the APL. Mm. We had a civil war in this football community over uh, the... Uh, demerger or the demutualization of the APL breaking away and running themselves. They made promises, these club owners, for three or four years as they as they just made an absolute all-out assault on Stephen Lowy's administration. And we have this mess and they're not prepared to come out and communicate what their strategy vision is. These guys, these owners, they're taking the football fans in Australia for a ride. It's not fair. 
Um, what they don't seem to realise is that we care. We absolutely care and we want to know what's going on in their minds. And their continued silence, I mean, I feel like never going to an A-League game ever again. I really do. I'm so disappointed. $40 million has been reportedly blown on this keep-up uh, experiment. And Danny Townsend, all he's got to say is that, that the current administration has made some decisions he's not across. Blow me down with a feather, Willem. It's deeply insulting, isn't it, when you consider, as we sat here at the very outset of the APLs, unbundling and taking over in December 2020, the big question was, how are 10, now 12, different voices going to find consensus? And we were we were promised that that was not going to be an issue. Vince Regari wrote the piece this week that we all needed, I think, proper sort of deep journalism into where the $140 million has gone over those three years. And part of that piece delves into the the dissent between voices, that there were five clubs that had board members represented and then another five sitting there going, oh, I wouldn't be spending my money there. Uh, there was also a little line in there that I think Simon Pearce in his 10 years uh, involved in Australian football has not given one on-the-record interview. So that speaks to your point, Edge, that these people are yeah, pulling the strings in a significant way behind the scenes but not fronting up to the match you know, the the, attend, the the paying match day fan or, you know, the, the parents out on the street who, you know, have their kids asking them to, to go along or the Paramount Plus subscriber who feels perennially ripped off at this, you know, bang average service. So, no, that is um, pretty awful. Yeah, it's just disappointing. And, you know, I don't want to harp on about it, but I'm just shocked that they won't communicate anything. They, it's just like, oh, we, we own the league, we own the clubs, fans, you can go and please yourself. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a rough way to end, but it's uh, it's important. It's it's forever frustrating, and we find ourselves at a you know, really sort of disheartening juncture once again in terms of the administration of our domestic league. But we spoke earlier in the week that, you know, Football Australia continuing to do some uh, some good work towards a national second vision. So, um, yeah, the game does have an, an ability to, to adapt and move forward, but, yeah, not a, uh, not a particularly pleasant end this week's stoppage time. But we will be back uh, on Monday with Rob Gilbert to steer the ship for the main show once again. Thank you to Adam Maloney on the buttons and to you, the listener, for tuning in and your continued support uh, of our show. Uh, until then, please do remember to like us on Facebook, follow us on X at box to box nts and enjoy our written content at box to box nts Dot com. Uh, tell your friends, enjoy your football this weekend, including the Socceroos in an Asian Cup quarterfinal. And we will uh, speak to you again shortly as we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the World Game.